Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Clever Girls Know podcast. This is Bola Shokumbi. I'm the founder and CEO of Clever Girl Finance. The Clever Girls Know podcast is a podcast for women, offering a space for conversations around personal finance, business, life, and living. I'd love for you to subscribe to this podcast, and you can do that everywhere you listen to your podcast episodes. And if you love what you listen to, head on over to iTunes and leave a review so that other amazing women just like you can find this podcast as well. I'd also love for you to stop by clevergirlfinance.com. We have new content on the blog multiple times a week. We have over 30 plus free courses. Plus, when you sign up for a course, you can talk to a Clever Girl Finance mentor for free to get encouragement, motivation, or if you just want to have an open, no shame, no judgment girl talk. Finally, check out our YouTube channel. Just search Clever Girl Finance on YouTube. And if you don't already follow us on Instagram, you can find us at Clever Girl Finance. Okay, so let's get into today's episode. Hey, Stephanie, welcome to the Clever Girls Know podcast. Thank you so much, Bola, for having me. I'm really excited to be here and share my story. Same here. And you have an incredible story of how you increased your income from $12,000 to $98,000. And then you had to adjust your mindset to become successful with your money. So let's get into that. But before you kind of start talking about your story, I'd love for you to tell us who you are and what you do. Sure. I'd love to. So my name is Stephanie Trujillo and I am the gal behind the Instagram account and the podcast called The Money Flirt. I create content to help people with money anxiety and money trauma, develop soul aligned and emotional intelligence around wealth so that making and managing money becomes easeful and enriching. And as the name states, flirty, which I know we'll talk about, but it's direct contrast to the feeling of money as a burden. And I do focus my work around the emotional side of the relationship with money because it's where I've personally suffered the most of my journey, feelings of intense shame, embarrassment, even self-loathing around the topic. And so I'm really here to shine a light on what I've gone through and what's helped me heal so that others can feel less alone in this. And as you mentioned, part of my journey was a massive increase in income, which came with its own challenges, which we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about. Yes. Yes. Well, thanks for sharing that. I mean, a lot of people definitely feel anxiety around their finances, especially when they're at the beginning of their journey or if they have a setback. So I'm looking forward to talking more about that with you. So you described money as being an extreme burden in your life, especially in the early stages of your financial wellness journey. Can you elaborate on what you mean by extreme burden? and What did your financial life look like when you were first getting started? Yeah, it's a great question. And I, one of the questions I first ask on my podcast, which is kind of how I'll answer this is what was your relationship like with money growing up? And so I turned to my childhood programming around this answer of money as a burden, because I, like everyone was born with a neutral mindset around money. We're all born with no feelings of shame around money, no feelings of shame at all. And so anything that kind of comes up through our adulthood was likely programmed from a childhood experience or a mentality from caregivers and indoctrination from the society at large. And so for me, even though I lived very comfortably and I was well provided for, the mentality around money was that it's in short supply. 
It's hard to come by. It's actually the worst thing in the world to feel like you are entitled to money. And so that word entitlement had a lot of shadow around it. And as an adult, the fear and disgust around this word entitled actually led me to subconsciously sabotage my entire relationship with money. I chose very low paying jobs. As soon as I had money, I would spend it immediately, bringing me back to zero over and over again, because weirdly I I felt safe in that space because it was the only thing my subconscious knew was to live in that fear and disgust of money. And so for me, there was no other reality at that time. And so when I talk about burden, you know, I, I share that story because it became part of my, my cellular makeup. I felt the burden in my body. And so when I finally broke out of that pattern and programming, I was able to experience money totally different as a whole different energy in my life. And and I feel so much more light and magnetic now that I've done so much healing around it. That's so interesting that your comfort zone, your space of comfort was spending all your money back down to zero. So was it the fact that you had money in the bank that made you anxious about not knowing what to do with it, feeling like you would lose it? Like what kind of emotions were you feeling when you're like, okay, I'm going to spend this all back to zero and be comfortable with being in this place of being afraid of money? Yeah. It's that tug of war again with that word entitlement, because, you know, we all are entitled to have a calm and happy relationship with money. But for me, I also felt like, gosh, I've worked really hard for this money. I should spend it on myself in a way that makes me feel good. And so it was Mm. was a cycle of having that paycheck come in and being, my emotions were tied to payday, which I know a lot of people can resonate with. It was like, okay, payday happens and now I'm happy And now I get to spend it and be in this joy and that the self-sabotage came in because I didn't have any savings or money management systems in place. And so the cycle was to spend it as soon as I got it and then be in the the hardship once again, a few weeks later. So basically that it's entitlement and the feeling that I need to reward myself because I'm working so hard and I'm going to spend everything I have. I get back to my comfortable place of zero, but then work so hard again to get more money mm-hmm. and then spend it again. So I want you to unpack that with us. And I guess in order for you to be able to spend the money, you have to have earned the money. Right? right. So let's talk about your income increase, right? So you increased your income by $86,000 from 12K to $98,000. How did you do this? And what was that $12,000 job you were doing? And what kind of steps did you take to then get to earning $98,000? Yeah. So weirdly before the 12,000, and I say it's euros a year because I was living in Spain, but before that I was a teacher. Oh, wow. So that's a lot more than our US dollars. (laughs) It's a little bit more, but you know, it's, it is, um, (laughs) it wasn't a European lifestyle. I'm like, oh my gosh, struggling with that amount. But yeah. So even before that, I was making around 45,000 in San Francisco, which that was being a teacher. And that's a big part of my story is my experience as a teacher and actually choosing and all the love in the world to teachers. I have compassion for you. I am one, but I did purposely choose that job because it was low paying in hindsight. And so I was earning $45,000. And then I decided to move to Spain, which I took the big pay cut earning 12,000 euros a year. And when I was in that space, I was at my emotional and financial low. So I had lots of low self-worth and I thought this is all I'm meant to be making. I kind of accepted my victimhood around that number. And an important part that I'd like to share is that I had 
what I call a no more moment with money, which was I was sitting in the airport in LAX waiting for a flight back to Spain. And I did not have enough money to buy dinner. And I felt overwhelming sense of shame. Like here I am again. I'm so frustrated with myself. I was so upset and like money trauma happens with a thousand paper cuts, right? It's like all of these little things built up to this moment. And I said, no more, I'm not going to live like this anymore. And so I made it energetic pact with myself to never, ever, ever be in the situation again with money. And I decided to change careers. I decided to finally take a really big risk and leave teaching. And I wanted to get into tech. And so I tried you know, I had this like delusional self-belief and I use that word for on purpose because we talk about people with delusion, you know, as, you know, being like unhinged, but really when you have an incredible amount of self-belief, it is on the brink of delusional because you have no self, you don't have proof of it, but you know that you can do it. Mm-hmm. And so I had this just like inner drive and inner knowing that I could change careers. And I ended up switching careers, not to user experience design, which I originally planned, but I switched to instructional design, which I didn't know existed. And so within six months, I had just worked really hard to make this pivot. And then I, when I signed the contract for $98,000 a year, while I signed it physically, I had made the energetic signature on the contract I signed with myself in that moment in LAX. So Yeah, it was a big jump, but something that I knew I had within me. I was a teacher, so I have my master's in teaching English as a second language. And I did that for about eight or nine years. And then now I am an instructional designer. So if any teachers out there are listening and are, you know, thinking of a career change, instructional design is a really not smooth, but it's a really logical transition. And I found it really rewarding as well. So what does instructional design mean? So instructional design, <laughs> Sorry, you know, that's a silly question. No, it's the question I get a lot because I didn't know what it was either. Somebody asked me if I wanted to do this. And I was like, okay, what is it? And so I had to Google it really quick, but instructional design is basically, you can think of it as like the lesson planning for like corporations. So any mm. company that has like any internal training or even customer education has instructional design or that's often called learning experience design team. And so it's people that kind of work behind the scenes to create courses or training or onboarding. And a lot of times they're former teachers. And so I find it personally a lot easier than teaching because you don't have the emotional weight of, you know, being in front of a a class and like, Mm. you know, navigating the classroom. So and that's like a perfect transition for you, right? You know, because you already had that skill set. So this is like minus mm-hmm. the audience, which are the kids or the individuals, the adults that you teach. And then, you know, transitioning your skill set into something similar, but also different. So you started out with the $45,000, you moved to Spain, your income dropped, and then you got this opportunity where you increased your income significantly to this $98,000 by starting this new career path. Mm -hmm. And so despite increasing your income, one of the things that you mentioned in your, I guess, like podcast overview was that you still struggled with your finances, with your mindset, even though you were making almost 10 times more. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me more about that. Why were you struggling? What were you feeling? You know, like talk us through that. Sure. You know, I think this happens 
with lottery winners as well, which is um, <laughs> you are still the same person that you were the day before you signed that contract as the day that the paycheck hits, right? So what was really interesting is at the time, I didn't know that there's an actual term for this, which is money trauma or trauma mm-hmm. of money. And so even though I had a new number coming in more consistently, I still had the same money scripts of scarcity, fear, and disgust Mm. around money. And so I only realized that this still existed because I hired a financial coach. She was incredible. She was so sweet and lovely. And I, and we signed up for a whole year of coaching and I thought, okay, here we go. Like I'm ready. Like I'm going to be a badass with money now. And what ended up happening is during our conversations, I felt so overwhelmed and triggered by all of it that I just like my throat would tighten up. My heart would beat faster and I would start crying and she would help me, you know, like she really tried bless her. Oh my God. She really tried to help me understand what was going on, but I had, there was no way I couldn't even intellectually tell her why I was crying because I didn't know about money trauma and how it lives in your, in your body. And so I say this thing, which is more money, same problems, because I really had that or more problems, <laughs> more problems. Yeah. There's just a different kind of problem. And so you have this image, at least I did when I was in my broke days of, oh, as soon as I have money, that's when I'll be able to feel, you know, ease and joy around it. And then I just got that slap in the face, right? It's like you get more money, but your mindset is still the same around it. And so I've gone through a lot of healing around really looking at my nervous system and my taking cues from my body as where I still need to, to heal some areas of this money story. You know, what you said is true. It's similar to how lottery winners feel like more money. doesn't change you as a human being. It's you are going to be who you are. And more money just amplifies the issues that you have about money if you haven't addressed them already, right? So if you you feel like you can never be good with money and you just have to spend to reward yourself, when you have more money, you're going to buy bigger rewards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're going to spend all the money. Like people always say, oh, a lottery winner won 100 million and 500 million. How could they spend it all? You can spend it all. There are things that you can buy and you still will not have enough money. You'll spend the whole $500 million, right? Right. (laughs) And you still won't have enough money and you won't have bought everything you wanted. It is possible to spend all that money. You can buy bigger rewards. You, you know, your taste changes, your lifestyle changes. But, you know, just going back to what I said, it's the more money just amplifies what you're already experiencing, what you're already feeling. And so money is is not the solution, right? right? It's dealing with yourself and dealing with what your challenges are and whatever is driving that emotional trauma that you mentioned. And so you talked about doing, recognizing, okay, you are experiencing money trauma, I mean, and you started doing mindset work and something you called inner child healing to improve your emotional intelligence and basically manage that money trauma you were experiencing. What were the things that you did to help you adjust your mindset? Explain to us the inner child healing, because that's something that's very interesting. And I also think important, especially from a reflective standpoint. And how did this help you now just get to a point where you started to feel comfortable and take control of your finances? Yeah. The inner child healing is a really important part of my 
kind of toolkit in my healing journey. And I'll, I would point to the holistic psychologist on Instagram as an inspiration for looking at inner child and doing that work. She has great resources around it. But for me, what it looks like is I do hypnosis around my money mindset and my money, my wealth consciousness. And one thing that came up is going into kind of these relaxed states, these theta states of meditation, you can actually go back and revisit some of these stories that maybe you tell anecdotally or you know you you remember and kind of think about what happened during that moment and how did that script become part of my programming as an adult and as a quick mm-hmm. example i have <laughs> it's kind of it sounds a little silly but it really made a big impact on me which was when i was probably like 8 or 9 i saw those commercials for space camp and i was like hell yeah i want to go to space camp and so my parents were <laughs> like they were like okay you have to save up for it if you want to go and so i'm like okay cool so i started like saving some cash and doing you know chores around the house and you know i probably got to around 40 dollars and i was just like god i'm never going i'm never going to make it i'm never going to make it to space camp this is just too hard and i'm i want something now and so i pivoted and i was like you know what? What do I want now? I want beef jerky. <laughs> so like I spent literally my space camp money on beef jerky and like, it's a silly story, but when I really went back and kind of unpacked what happened there, I realized, wow, I really, I abandoned myself in that moment, which was, I had this big savings goal and I, and rather than, you know, putting in, you know, like a plan or a system or just having some support around saving, I wanted that instant reward. And so it's so interesting to me to go back and like, you know, I do a lot of visualization of rewriting that story when Mm -hmm. I'm in a hypnotic state, because I'm like, what I do now is I think about that little girl and like, okay, let's give her some support and encouragement to make it to that goal. So that when she's an adult, she can have that confidence in that skill set. So it's, it's really powerful work. Uh, I, I do find that very interesting. I'm big on reflection. I've never tried hypnosis, but I I have heard it talked about. And obviously you're sharing your experience of going back to that experience as a child and seeing yourself in that space and understanding that root cause. But then coming out of that state, right? And now having this new information, but still having had your mindset blocks, how did you leverage that information to help you now adjusts how you were thinking, how you were feeling about your money? Yeah, I think, well, the first step for me is definitely just some awareness around like what is happening in childhood and having some, mm-hmm. some compassion, some grace for that part of your, you know, everyone has a story with money and, yeah. you know, and also not, not going down the rabbit hole of blaming your parents because they did the best they could, or they, you know, in my case, they, you know, they did the best they could and they loved me. And they also, I recognize that there's generational trauma of, you know, poverty mm-hmm. in my family. And my dad was the first to break through of that. And so of course, you know, there, he didn't shed all of his like more money, same problems. Right. So even though he broke out of poverty, he still had that kind of mindset. So I think for me, the biggest thing is just developing some education and awareness around, you know, we think of money as just like this thing that we have to deal with as adults, but really it's, it's energy and it's, it's all around us and it's life. You know, we have to have it and we, we deserve to have a light relationship with it, even rewarding and fulfilling. And so, yeah, just starting with acceptance was, was a big piece of the puzzle for me. Yeah. Yeah. And 
You know, that what you said, generational trauma, that is a real thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm sure many people can look back, especially when you look at the financial aspect and see that carried over in their families. I can definitely look back and see that just based on what I know about my family. And I think, yes, you know, when people reflect back, whether you do it through hypnosis or you sit down and you do reflective journaling or you work with a therapist, however, you reflect back into your past to understand what causes your money trauma, as you mentioned, Stephanie, you could decide to blame other people, right? Mm -hmm. Your parents didn't teach you this. Your parents did this, you know, people in your family, et cetera. But I think we all get to a point, especially as we step into adulthood, where we can no longer blame other people. We have to now choose to take ownership of our journey going forward, because if we just sit and continue to blame people, we're never going to make any progress and we're never going to be able to change the narrative for ourselves about what we can be or what we can do with our finances and with our other life goals. And I think that's a very fine line because people will recognize what drives their trauma and then they'll get, get stuck into this place of, well, it's that person's fault and that person's fault and that person's fault. And they spend all this energy focusing on whose fault it is mm-hmm. that they don't give themselves the opportunity to look ahead and make now make progress so that they can overcome that trauma. So what you said about just, you know, recognizing and acceptance and just understanding what happened and using it now to move forward, that's extremely important. Yeah, totally. And I think what I've realized in my journey is that it's, I'm empowered. I feel like you said, it's like really taking ownership and and knowing that you can do it. And I think that's the mindset shift too. And I think we're seeing more and more of it, which is so great because like the work that you're doing, it's just putting the the power back in, you know, our, our hands and, and really saying that we can, and we should, and we're entitled. It's like, let's take that mm-hmm. word back. Like we can do this and we should, and it's our right. So it's beautiful. So once you started to make progress, you recognize the, what was driving the trauma, you started to implement steps with, you know, improving your mindset. How did you start to feel about your finances? And Obviously, you were doing things differently. You were not spending your money down to zero anymore. <laughs> but what were the step one? <laughs> what were some of the different things you are now doing? Did you start investing? Did you start saving? You know, like how did your money approach change based on now this mindset and inner child healing work that you had done and continue to do for yourself? Yeah. So once I, you know, that experience with the financial coach was really enlightening for me because it was like, okay, I need to do this inner healing. But once I started fortifying that muscle and becoming more and more confident and being able to talk about money without crying, you know, I, then I was like, oh, I'm on fire. Like she's ready. So what worked for me is rather than budgeting, because budgeting had kind of, this is just a personal experiences, it had kind of that taste of like a diet. And so I always Mm -hmm. felt really constricted with that word budget. And it's just, it's really a perspective change. So what I call it is like money management. And so what that looks like is allocating different percentages to parts of my life that really light me up. And so the first part of that is, and this came after all that healing was, I was able to put this in place, which was you know, paying myself first. So putting 10% to 15%, sometimes 20%, toward my retirement investments. And so that was a new sensation in my body. And so I had to take that and really honor that this was, I am paying myself and that this is for the future me. And this is my ultimate self-care. 
And so that is a non-negotiable now in my money management system. And then um, from there, yeah, I have all these other, I'm a huge fan of Ally in terms of like using savings buckets and then using those short-term savings goals for a purpose. Like for example, I travel as part of my rich life. And so I put a travel bucket that I fund really, it's a healthy fund that goes toward that and it gets circulated a lot. So it goes from, you know, thousands of dollars back to zero and that's safe because that's what that money is for. And so that relationship I have now with money is a lot more intentional. So it's like this amount of money is for my education. And so that amount grows and then it gets used you know, and then for long-term savings, those are still a trigger for me. And so I'm working through, you know, saving for a home is something that I, is a goal of mine. And yet it's still a sticky point for me to commit to that savings. So even though I've got this management system in place, I'm still definitely working on some of my blocks that still mm-hmm. exist. Yeah. And I think it's something that is always ongoing. I'm always working on my money blocks that I face <laughs> and I have to be intentional about it. Otherwise, they sort of creep up and start to take over the way I'm thinking, especially if I'm not being intentional, right? And I've talked about my money blocks on this podcast before, but just the whole lack mentality and like, I'm going to lose it all. I'm not going to have enough, that type of thing. So I have to consciously remind myself, you know, of like be realistic, objective with myself and stop letting my mind play tricks on me. But I love that you you have a plan and you have a strategy and you're facing your money fears. But the fact that you have been able to recognize and accept what has been your challenge with money is what is also allowing you to be able to make the progress. Because now you know what it is. Like mm-hmm. and when those thoughts crop up in your mind, you're like, okay, I know why this is happening, but now I know I can do this this way and I can counter those thoughts, that fear with money, that sense of entitlement, because I know where this is stemming from, right? Yeah. And tie in your goals to that of what you want to achieve, then you're like, okay, fine. I do want to go shopping and spend my account down to zero, but guess what? I want to buy this house. And this is more important to me. And I really know where that sense of entitlement is coming from. So I can counter that. And it's just, you know, just having that reflective moment, going back to what you said earlier of working on your mindset and your inner child healing, that stuff is so important. I think everybody, even if you think you don't have any, I'm I'm okay with money. A lot of people say I'm okay with money, right? You know, I'm Mm -hmm. not the best. I make mistakes. Sure. I don't always say whatever. (laughs) But I think it's it's worth going back and just understanding where do you get why you feel that way? Like I'm just okay with money, right? Is it okay to be just okay with money? Don't you want to be good with money? So everybody, I think, should go back and do some sort of reflective, go back, go back and, and just see where those things stem from. Totally. And like when you do that, and I'm speaking from experiences that you become more magnetic with so many areas of your life. And one thing I truly believe is, you know, if you desire money, money desires you back. And Mm. what kind of relationship is that? And that's, that's the flirty piece of it. Right. Cause like everyone has had that experience of like that mutual magnetism and, you know, like we really do deserve to have that joy in our life around our finances. And also like a big part of my motivation is this belief that the more money we have, the more good we can do in the world and rewriting that other money script, which is, you know, all rich people are bad and greedy. And like, you know, the more we perpetuate that story, the more we're distancing ourselves from making money and having that impact and sharing our purpose with the world. And so, 
it's more than money. It's like you said, it's, it's, it's a beautiful relationship that you can cultivate. What you just said, and it's something that a lot of people struggle with is people who have money are bad, rich people are evil, or even the jealousy that stems that some people oh, yeah. feel when they see successful people is limiting you from being able to attract those things into your life because you're already so resistant. And I'm not saying it in your words, but what you said is golden. That is such a great way to think about it. Like that person you're angry about, that successful person that you can't stand because you think their money makes them X, Y, Z. It's actually a block that's limiting you from achieving success because you're not opening yourself to attract that money because you're already like, the way you explained it, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so I huge. love it. Yeah, and it's so huge. And I and I talk about that because that was a huge belief of mine too, was that, yeah, especially like I lived in San Francisco and I did the whole, like, you know, when I was in my victim mentality was like, you know, mm. what was me? I'm this poor teacher and like, you know, had some, okay, a lot of resentment toward like people like in tech and things like that. And so you know, I want to point also to a huge, major resource for me, which was this course called Trauma of Money. I don't know if you know of it. It's facilitated by Chantel Chapman. She's a Canadian. She's a researcher and she's an incredible financial educator. And in this course, it's 14 weeks. And with a cohort, it's a live group. You really process these feelings of you know, this, our collective mentality around, you know, resenting rich people or like having that collective belief. And you, you play around with like, whose story is that? And one of the big takeaways from that course is this question, whose shame is this? And so when we, when we inherit these beliefs, you know, spaces like this, like you're creating and so many people, I'm so excited to see it is we're unpacking that we don't have to have these stories live within us anymore. Yes. Yes. And I just found that course online. I'm going to link it in the show notes for anyone who's interested. Yeah. It's, it's a lot to think about a lot to even discuss. And given your experience of dealing with this financial trauma of adjusting your mindset of going back to your childhood to recognize where your money issues were stemming from of of the actions you are now taking to stay on track now and save and invest and achieve your goals and still manage your mindset blocks, right? Which we all have, you know, positive mindset, something that we all have to continuously work like a muscle, but given your own experience and what you do now with the money for, for helping other people through their money issues, what advice would you give to anyone who's listening to this today based on their own experience, who is where you were back when you were earning that first low amount of money and feeling like I can never do better, but I'm entitled to have all the best things. I'm going to spend my bank account to zero. What advice would you give to someone who is back there that, you know, wants to now listening to you now improve their finances? Yeah. So I, you know, my heart goes out to anyone who is resonating with that part of my story because it's painful and I have compassion for where you are. And especially if you are someone who feels this money anxiety in your body, what I want to say to you is recognize and honor that something is going on on a cellular level that's inside your body. And so I have a post about this, which I articulated, I think in a way that makes sense, at least to me, which is when you have that kind of money pain and money trauma, it's like having a broken leg. You can 
of course you want the leg to heal and you want to start moving, but if you put weight on it, or if you put a brace on it and start to walk and move, you're going to do more harm than good. You have to heal the leg first. And so when we move into like really like, okay, aggressive, like debt payoff or like looking into optimizing 401k and you still have that money trauma, it's like running on a broken leg. And so what I would say is just, if you feel it in your body, recognize that that's real and that it needs some attention and some self-care and give yourself some space to explore what's going on in your inner world before you kind of shame yourself into, you know, doing all of this, you know, financial literacy, which is important, important piece when you're ready. And so my hope is to speak to those people that were in that kind of somatic fight or flight response that I was in, because first of all, you're not alone. And that every small step that you take, start really small, because that's that lottery winner thing. Again, it's like your nervous system is not ready to probably go into some really aggressive, you know, like sessions with a, like, you know, financial planner. So yeah, my big thing is start where you are, honor your body, honor your, your trauma and you go from there. Yeah, that's great advice. You know, people always ask me, what do you think is the biggest issue when it comes to women and money, people and money? And I always say the steps are the steps, right? The steps to pay off debt, to save money, to invest, they are the steps. They don't change much. You know, it's, those are the steps you do them. You follow the plan. You're consistent. You're patient. You will see results, but the biggest issue is always self. It's Mm -hmm. you. It's what you've experienced. It's what's in your past. It's what's blocking you. It's dealing with that you first that will allow you to make taking those steps and being patient and working through the motions so much easier because you've dealt with you. Mm. So true. (laughs) Really great. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much for, you know, being here and for sharing. And before I let you go, you have to tell everybody, what is your clever girl superpower? Yeah. My my clever girl superpower is my vulnerability and my openness to talk about money where as before when I was in my, you know, my worst time, my worst days, I was hiding, I was playing small and now I'm vulnerable and open and willing to share everything that's going on for me. And I've found so much strength and support in that process. That's great. And the fact that you're willing to share, just know that your story is going to impact so many people and help to change so many lives. I think we all have a story and we all have something to share. And the key is being willing to share, being open to share. So thank you for for sharing and, you know, know that what you share, how you're helping other people through your own platform as well is going to impact lives positively. Thank you so much. I really take that in. Thank you. (laughs) And I'd love for you to tell everyone before you go, where can they find you? You mentioned your podcast, your social media. Please tell us specifically where to go. Sure. The best place to find me is on Instagram. It's at the money flirt. And then through there, you can find links to my podcast, which is called the money flirt. And yeah, it's actually pretty new. It's only five months old. And so I'd love to have you join the community, hang out and share with me your money trauma, lay it on me. I'm here for it all. Awesome. And we'll be sure to include that in the show notes. Awesome. Thank you so much, Stephanie, for being here. Thank you. This is great. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode, and I hope you enjoyed it. If you've loved the episode, but you don't yet subscribe to the podcast, you can do that everywhere you listen to your podcast episodes and head on over to iTunes and leave a review so other amazing women just like you can find this podcast as well. 
Thank you so much for being here and I'll talk to you on the next episode.